About five years ago, this story appeared in the newspaper. Japanese crews preparing a building for demolition recently found the remains of a man in an apartment and believe the man died a lonely death 20 years ago. A skeleton clad in pajamas was found lying on musty bedding when workers entered the second floor unit where the man had lived. The newspaper on the kitchen table was dated February 20th, 1984. Authorities say the man worked for a construction firm that built the apartments in 1973. They believe he moved into the vacant building after the firm managing it went bankrupt. They say the man, age 57 at the time, suddenly stopped coming to work 20 years ago. He was divorced and had children, but none of his family or friends ever asked police to search for him. After hearing the gruesome news, a neighbor said, I had no idea that the apartment even existed. After I heard the news, I thought, it's as if time had stopped in this one place. Relationships are the thing that help us, hopefully, to have a better life. Relationships are the thing that helps us actually to live a life worth living. People come around us and they encourage us in hard times. They instruct us and guide us in difficult times. They inspire us when we seem to have lost our way. And relationships are huge. It is interesting that about one-third of people that claim to be Christians don't go to church anywhere. Often there is a type of church conflict or church difficulty or whatever that causes, quote, casualties where sometimes a church will split and maybe... A third of the people will, will stick in there no matter what. And a third of the people will choose to do something else. And a third of the people just kind of drop off and don't attend church anymore. And if we are going to be a church that makes a difference for the Lord, if we're going to be the kind of people that are, when our funeral comes along, are, are celebrated because we made a difference for Christ, it's going to be pretty hard to do that alone in solitude. And I highly doubt that any of you are going to die unnoticed. I mean, there's enough society around, there's enough people around, there's enough connections around where that's probably not going to happen. But what if at your funeral, nobody really knew where you stood with Christ? Nobody really knew what you did to make a difference for the kingdom of God? Nobody really knew what you were all about because you were one of these people that couldn't make peace, couldn't find peace, couldn't get along with others. And when you come into a church group, church family, there's always going to be difficulty and conflict. There's always going to be differences in opinion. There's going to be differences in style. There's going to be, you're going to think different things and you're going to have to decide, is this a major issue, like a doctrinal issue, or is this a preference kind of thing? You know, if you think that pastors need to wear suits and I wear jeans, does that mean you can't worship here? Well, you're probably happy that you're not wearing a suit too. If you come about Bible translations and you say, you know, the King James Version is the only version and they're using the New International Version for Bible quizzing. <gasps> is that... Come on now. If you are going to divide over minor things and, and fight over minor things, God isn't going to be glorified and you're going to be really lonely. You know, to be together in a community of faith will give you a better life, often a longer life, a more satisfying life, and a life where you're challenged to do things you might not have opportunities to do. Somebody was recently pressed into service at Adventure Club. They were willing helpers, and it was like, well, we have too many kids. We need somebody to teach. Will you? They're like, okay. I hope this works out okay. But with the materials and everything, and who knows? They may find that they have the gift of teaching, and it may be life-changing. 
But you and I need to realize that unity in the church and unity among Christians has an irresistible power. When people come to a church and they see a church family, they are drawn to that. And I'll remind you again just quickly that when we were at the races out at uh, Raceway Park in Shakopee a while back, that we were just having a good time talking and everything, and this older gentleman who had been watching us all night came up before he left and he said, I've been wondering all night, are you guys all brothers? Well, we're brothers in Christ. We're part of the same church men's group. Oh, because it looked like you're having such a good time together. That type of unity has an irresistible power. That type of getting along with each other. And this church, obviously, as most churches, is full of imperfect people. So I don't know what type of sin you struggle in. I don't know what it is that you're into that's less than Christ-like or admirable. But we'll take you where you're at. But we don't want you to stay there. We want you to grow up in your relationship in Christ to become all that the Lord has for you. We want you to live a godly life through Christ Jesus so that you can experience the blessing and the power and the fullness of God in your life. We don't want to leave you where you're stuck. We don't want to leave you stuck in sin. We want to help help you with grace and love. So Christian unity isn't something that you can just go buy a book that's you know, this is a great manual, and it's got a lot of great points and formulas, and it's that's awesome. I highly recommend it, or we wouldn't be using it. But God is the one who really brings Christian unity. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, which means that unity can be a lot of work. There is giving, there is taking, there is discussing, there is trying to figure out and work out the differences. And without sharing lots of personal illustrations, I've been in many situations among Christians where I did not get my way. But what I didn't get my way for, you know, when this life is spent and I look back, it probably won't matter that much anyway. A lot of it's a preference. In my mind, a few times I think, well, I know I'm right, but go ahead. But maybe you think that way too. But people do not create unity. God does. Ephesians 2.22 says, In Him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You know, God chooses to work through the church and the people of the church. He chooses to work in groups. He chooses to work among His people. And the people that want to follow Christ but want to be all alone aren't really in God's plan. If they're not part of a church body, then they're robbing the church of their spiritual gifts and their part because we are part of the body of Christ. And if somebody is supposed to be here to be our finger and they're not here, you know, it's kind of harder to get a grip on things. But Christian unity is being one in spirit and purpose, to love Jesus Christ and make Him known to others. Jesus had prayed, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And we need to come together. And we need to be unified. We need to be so in love with Jesus that we see Christ in others. Together we see what Christ wants us to do and we, as a group, move in that direction. And we're not supposed to stay in these walls hidden away like a secret society, but we're supposed to reach out to others to make them known to others. Philippians 2.2 says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and in purpose, and in Romans 15.5 it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to glorify the Lord. We need to come together. We need to worship together, and it's a great thing. You know, Dan felt on his heart that he should share part of his testimony in the Gospel today. I've been thinking for a couple weeks that there's no rule in this church that you can't raise your hands during worship. So I know that a lot of us of Scandinavian descent or whatever are like this, saying, I am raising my hand to the Lord. And the Bible says that God is seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. So if you raise your hands in worship and you say, look at me, I'm more spiritual than you, then that's not spirit and truth. But then again, don't feel like you have to sit on your hands either. Together we come together to celebrate, to worship, to gather together, to share cares. And as we all come together and we're in a spirit of unity, then God can work through us. And it's a great thing. So let's talk about five commitments needed to cultivate, maintain, and demonstrate unity. First one is a commitment to love Jesus Christ above all things and to sacrifice all of our many agendas for his sake. Here's Paul. He's a prisoner. He's a church planter. He goes around to Gentile villages, towns, communities to start churches. And he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. A life worthy is a life where you're pursuing Jesus Christ. Your eyes are focused on Him. And you're willing to sacrifice some of your own selfish desires, some of the little things that you think that you really want. Sacrifice all of our many agendas for His sake. And that glorifies God. Ephesians 4.15 Speaking the truth in love, we will all things grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does His work. So you can take spiritual gift inventories and uh, shape or place tests and things and figure out what your part of the body might be. But the important part is, is that together we're being built up in love. We're working together and we are unified. You know, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Could you say that? Would that be the motto of your life? If somebody asked, tell me about yourself, would you say, you know, Christ lives in me. I no longer live on my own for myself, but I live all for Jesus. That would be a great, a great thing to be able to work out in your life so that it's true. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now, I've read a lot of stuff on unity. I was looking for different illustrations for this message and I repeatedly saw this really odd thing. It troubled me a little bit. It said, whenever you come together and talk about what you believe about the Bible, it creates disunity and controversy. But when you talk about who you believe in, Jesus, then it creates unity. And other things too said, you know, oh, don't worry about doctrine, just focus on loving Jesus. Well, focusing on loving Jesus means you take the Bible at face value. It means that you take what's written in these pages and you say, okay, I see clearly that this is sin. This is sin. That's a gray area. This is freedom in Christ. There's grace. And so you take doctrinal things that have, I mentioned this last week, but that have, you know, serious implications on the Christian faith and you hold to that. And there might be a time where you can't be in a certain church body because you say, I do not agree. I do not believe. I think that you are handling scriptures in error. And a commitment to sound doctrine, which never sacrifices the truth, but always prioritizes it in the spirit of grace is one of those five things that are so important. 
Be committed to the truth. Be committed to what God's Word says. More than just unity. Because when you've got a group of people and they're committed to what God's Word says, then you will be able to be unified and you will be able to be effective. It won't be just a bunch of opinions. It will be, we all agree that God's Word says this, and I believe it, we're going to do it, because this is what the manual says. Philippians 3.15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And God chooses to use His Word to help us find that clearness. Number three, a commitment to develop Christ-like character, especially humility and submission. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We get together in groups. And when we are in small groups, when we study God's Word together, we commit to growing in Christ. We learn knowledge to be applied to our lives, which leads, hopefully, to Christ-like character. And if part of that Christ-like character then leads us to be humble and submissive to the things of God, then it makes a great life. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider each others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Number four, a commitment to respect and pursue God-given diversity and accept one another as Christ has accepted us. Now, God has made us different. We have different skin colors. Some of us are even from different countries or places. Some of us do things differently, have learned things differently, have different cultural norms. And there is a diversity in all that. I would love to be the most ethnic and racially diverse church in all of Belle Plaine or in the whole region. It would be just so wonderful because God loves people of all races, nationalities, um, backgrounds, and we are committed to say, you are different than I am, and together we love Christ. Isn't that awesome? In Colossians 3.11 it says, there's no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And together in this body of Christ, we are different, but we can be unified in the Lord. Romans 15.7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So unity is not the same as uniformity. The church at its best should be like an orchestra with many different instruments blending together under one conductor to play complementary parts in one glorious composition. How many of you ever were ever in the high school or the college band? How many of you ever were in any type of orchestra? Raise your hand if you were. Dan, write down their names. <laughs> How many of you are really good singers and you're not on the worship team? <laughs> All right, I was in high school band and university band. I played the saxophone, even marched on the Air Force Academy homecoming football field in Colorado Springs. And I would do my part. And the guy with the trombone would do his part. And the guy, with, or the, usually the girls with the flutes would do their parts. And together, we were all doing our own thing. But when it came together, we were all, usually, in harmony. And the thing that really kept us all in sync was the conductor before us. So when you're following after Jesus, the conductor before us, and you're using your special ability, then together you can be unified. Number five, a commitment to strive earnestly and prayerfully to pursue peace, to resolve conflict and preserve relationships despite personal differences. So, are you committed to that? I am committed to that. And we try hard. We try hard to do all that we can to run out and try to pursue peace. If I have offended you in any way, please tell me. And I want to work on peace in that area. 
Maybe it's an issue that I have a Bible verse to say, well, I'm kind of in the right and you're kind of not. But together we work through that. Proverbs 19.11, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. And Luke 6.27, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It's a long life. If you live to be 70 years old, some of those people that were your enemies will become your friends. Some of those people that you hated so much will come back somehow, roundabout into your life. And it's a good word that the Lord shares with us. If possible, Romans 12.18 as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And Galatians 6.1 says that when we catch someone doing wrong, that we are to do all that we can to help restore them back into a right relationship with the Lord and the church. That's what church discipline is about. It's not to be mean. It's not to say, you were bad, we're going to beat you. It is to get people to be restored into a right relationship with the Lord, to come back into the body and to be unified. What are some of the evidences and fruit of unity? One is a harmony of shared lives with people regularly meeting, eating, praying, worshiping, and reaching decisions together, which is what we saw in the New Testament church. They joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers, they joined together. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and together and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So we, Romans 12.16 says, we're supposed to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Number two, no worldly discrimination based on rage, uh, rage <laughs> based on race, gender, age, or economic status. You can look up that verse. But number three, a commitment to seek genuine understanding and agreement rather than imposed uniformity. I'm going to show you a little video clip, and I want you to think about church. It's actually a video clip about gossip, but I want you to think about okay. When you think of people in the church, when you think about the type of things that they're involved in, are you like these ladies you're going to see? Or do you seek to see what is the root level, what is the basis for the choices that people make and the things that they do? Do you seek to show grace and seek a greater understanding at the root issues? Or do you kind of judge for what you see? Julie, Eunice, and I are so glad you could join our prayer group Lord knows we need prayer now more than ever. Amen, sister. Barbara and I just love to lift the needs of others up in prayer. Well, I appreciate your invitation. Well, enough of this chitter-chatter. we got to get this show on the road. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but the Hendersons are in real need of prayer. Tom Henderson lost his job. Did you see Tom Jr.'s haircut the other day? He had the worst haircut. He looked like a porcupine on Red Bull. I hear Tom Sr. spends all day on the computer looking at the internet, watching videos on the YouTube. That's probably why he got fired. Oh, no, no, no. His boss caught him on the surveillance camera playing Texas Hold'em. Hold him accountable, I say. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for housewives like us to have hobbies, but he is a man of the church. He has a family. He should know better. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, I would like to lift up Verna Carlson. Oh, she has not been feeling very well. What's wrong with her? 
Well, I heard it was her weight, five pounds in one week. More like 15. Someone needs to tell her that eating ice cream will not save her demonic children. Oh, don't we know it. That little Jeffrey almost ruined the surface the other day, singing at the top of his lungs for all the world to hear. So wrong. Mm. I have a prayer request. Um, the Whitmans are going back to Peru for a month to build houses. Oh, they work so hard over there in that poor country. That's a good prayer request. They're such a nice couple. And her apple pie was the hit of the bake sale. Oh, yeah, but what about that V-neck sweater? I mean, if it had been any lower, well, I, I just didn't think that it was becoming. I noticed that, too. I didn't want to say anything. And let's not forget the dress that she wore last Easter. Um, I have another prayer request, um, for us, because, um, we're just sitting here gossiping, and I was thinking that, you know, we shouldn't be tearing down our brothers and sisters, we should be edifying them and lifting them up, and, um, like, I thought her sweater looked very nice on her, and that Easter dress was an heirloom that her grandmother made, and... Tom, he didn't get fired. He quit his job so he could start a design company. And um, Verna has a glandular problem. And I was just thinking that Romans 129 says that gossip is the same as murder. Murder? So, we should probably pray for ourselves. Well, I guess you're right. We should know better. Yes, we should. No, I do it too. I mean, last week at the picnic, I told everybody that Betty's son was going to jail. And I found out he's going to Yale. <laughs> well, wow. I don't know what happened to us. You know who's really bad at gossip? Who? So if you were a church that really cared about one another, you would try to figure out what the root of some of these things are. And if you really loved and cared, you probably wouldn't share some of the stuff that you thought that was really bad unless there was a reason to do it. You know, sometimes when you say, well, I have a prayer request to share, it is kind of gossipy sometimes. You want to be real careful with that. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Number four, a sign of maturity and unity is a freedom to respectfully disagree with one another. And there are many issues that we can say, well, you know, I disagree with you there, but we're still together in, in the Lord's family. Number five, to work productively toward common kingdom goals and invest our spiritual and material resources far more effectively. Number six, I can email you see if you're not right and fast enough. Number six is durable relationships. Marriage is one of those relationships that help you to learn how to stick in there no matter what. Often, um, sometimes family relationships, work relationships, but an evidence of fruit of unity is the fact that you and I hopefully can have relationships where if I make a mistake and offend you, you're still going to be my friend and I'll ask forgiveness. We'll come together. But a durable relationship, which means that if I'm crabby or mean, Someday you'll just say, well, he's just being crabby or mean, but I still love the guy anyway. And then 
Number seven, it enhances our witness for Christ. Isn't that what we really want to do? Don't we want to live a life that people can look at and say, I wouldn't mind being part of that faith community. I wouldn't mind having Christ in my life because I see how it works for you and your friends and your church family. And I would really like to be part of that. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The worship team can come forward. So the conclusion, true Christian unity can provide a powerful and appealing witness to the world. True Christian unity. Let us seek to be at peace with one another, to be unified, and to know that it's worth being peacemakers. And our challenge is, what will you do today by God's grace to cultivate, maintain, and demonstrate unity in your marriage, family, workplace, or here at church?